0: Welcome to Legal Ease Australia, presented by a layman and a lawyer. It's designed to demystify the legal process. It'll answer questions like, how do I buy a property? And what do I do if I get arrested? As well as featuring some of Melbourne's leading legal minds and most compelling cases. This is Legal Ease Australia. Welcome to another episode of Legal Ease Australia. My name's Tom Andronis. I'm the layman in this conversation, the one who will be asking the most basic questions. And uh, joining me is John Melia, as he does for every episode. He's the lawyer in this conversation. He's principal at Melia Lawyers. He's a barrister, a solicitor and a member of the Law Institute of Victoria. G'day, John. G'day, Tom. How are you? Not too bad. As we all know, the idea of this podcast is to demystify some of the the language and the concepts and the processes that go on as part of the legal process by asking and answering some pretty basic questions. Obviously, this episode sounds a little bit different to some of the ones that we've done in the past uh, because we are in lockdown in Melbourne and therefore we can't be sitting in our studio. So instead we're sitting on Zoom. And as a result, you know, obviously we've pivoted like so many other businesses and entities have. So here we are, today's topic is collaborative practice. And John, what are some of the things that you're hoping we'll take from this conversation?
1: I'm hoping to introduce the concept of collaborative practice to people, what it's all about, what it means and how it works and I've recently qualified in collaborative practice and the best person I know to talk about that is my mentor and teacher Clarissa Raywood and I think she's perfect to explain help explain to everyone and demystify what collaborative practice is
0: well it's very handy that you should say that because we actually have Clarissa joining us today Clarissa Raywood the happy family lawyer thanks so much for joining us all the way from Brisbane
2: that was such a great segue, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Just, <laughs> just like I wasn't yeah. here and now I'm here. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> <No> having me. No <laughs> worries. So
0: why don't we just start by by you explaining to us what collaborative practice is, what is collaborative law?
2: I should have brought my textbooks, shouldn't I, yeah. John? <laughs> um, <laughs> what was I thinking? I look, on one hand, it's just a fancy name for a process. And it started in the world of divorce and family law matters. And it's a process that helps people work out the legal issues that arise from a relationship breakdown in what I call a dignified, calm way. Ideally, at the end of it, they've stayed out of court. And in Clarissa language, they're still friends. And the way we do that is by helping them through a series of conversations, work out what it is that matters to them and work out how they can use the things that they have to achieve whatever it is that matters to them.
0: So is it only used in a family law context or in other contexts as well?
2: It's now used in other contexts. So it certainly originated in America in divorce matters, as I said, but has now moved across into all sorts of other areas of law and ultimately can be used, I use the skills, I have to say, in pretty much any dispute I have with any human being about anything. So this includes my two-year-old. So the things that are sort of innate within collaborative practice, which ultimately is how do you solve a problem, you can use anywhere. So in terms of law, it's a process that can be used in all sorts of different areas of law.
0: And how does it differ from, I guess, traditional or what's the word, more combative styles of, of law and legal practice?
2: There's a couple of differences, but I think the key thing that makes collaborative practice stand out or be different to everything else is that the measure of success or the test that we're using when we're, we're working through it is what matters to the family involved. So their goals, their interests, their values are the test of success. I guess the contrast to that is if we were in any other legal process and for myself and John in a family law system, the test of success is the Family Law Act and how it's applied in the court system. And so as lawyers, we say, look, that particular outcome is a good outcome for you. And when we're saying that, we're measuring that against all of the other cases that have ever been through the system that looks slightly like yours. And what collaborative practice does is it, it doesn't ignore the law, but instead of leading with what the law says success should look like, It asks the question of the people involved in the situation. Well, what do you want for your life? What matters for you now? Um, How do you want your kids to be raised? You know, where do you want to live for the future? And it leads with those measures of success. And it is the only legal process that does that.
0: And can it only be, I guess, practiced by legal practitioners or can you do you loop other people into this uh, system as well?
2: Yeah, we definitely loop other people in. And again, that's one of what I call the superpowers of collaborative practice. So we would bring in um, often financial professionals. So they're often people that have a background as accountants or financial planners. And they can come in and are so helpful in helping families work out how do we take, you know, the resources that used to suit our family as a whole and try and divide them across what now will usually be two households. We can also have people that have skills as what we call child experts, but there are often people that with qualifications such as social workers and psychologists that again have a really good human understanding of families and dynamics and bring those sorts of um, people to the table and in collaboration we we're, we're doing exactly what the word says you know we're working together sharing those skills sharing that knowledge to really try and help families in a very holistic way
0: and is this a, is this a new approach is it something that's been done for a long time because i mean my understanding of generally you know divorce law family law is it gets pretty nasty dragged through courts people destroy each other's lives they fight over you know custody and you know financials and all that sort of stuff is this an evolution is it something that's happened recently or has it been happening for a while
2: it's been happening for quite a while around the world. So I attended five years ago now, so it's 30 years. There you go. Five years ago now, the 25th anniversary you know, conference of this type of practice in Washington. So that's 30 years that this process has existed. But I think it just doesn't get a lot of publicity and airplay because as human beings, we love drama, yeah? We love the <laughs> horrid story of the terrible people that did the crazy things. And there isn't a horrible story in two people calmly, peacefully. You know, confidentially unraveling their affairs and getting on with their future. There's nothing particularly Hollywood about that, and so I think that's in part why we just don't hear about this process a lot.
0: So there's no, you know, a few good men, people uh, you can't handle the truth kind of setups in collaborative <laughs> law. It doesn't know how it works.
2: I'm sure John and I could find a way to work that line in if we really had to, but um, no. No,
0: fair <laughs> enough. And, and John, you've, um, you've just gone through the process of, of qualifying, if you like, uh, to do this collaborative law process. Have you actually implemented it yet? And why did you decide to do it?
1: Uh, one, yes, I have. I've got one new client and um, we're working through the steps slowly, very slowly with her. It's new to her, but she likes the idea of, being able to still have some relationship with her ex-husband and with looking after the children into the future. So we're going through that step by step. And she likes that as opposed to having to go to court. She didn't want to go to court. And she's talked her husband into not going to court either. So I'm just waiting for him to come on board. And as soon as that happens, we'll fire away. Uh, I got disillusioned with the court process after 18 years. I just kept banging my head against a brick wall. It was like we in court. The clients have spent up to a hundred thousand each to get to the final end of a trial, and they could have really resolved this from day one if they got together under this method. So, out of disillusionment with the system, I um, went into collaborative law, and it's really opened my eyes. It's been really good.
0: You practice across all sorts of different types of law. How? Like, like Clarissa mentioned earlier, that this could potentially be implemented in other areas of the law as well. Is that something that you can see? You might not have done it yet, but is it something that you can see yourself implementing in other cases as well?
1: I can see it happening in commercial disputes. Definitely where there are disputes about contracts and matters, that can certainly happen. Property disputes, I can see an area for that. All we need is someone to just start doing it. It'll, it'll, it'll flow.
0: Well, why don't you just be that person, John? Just be that guy.
1: I probably will, but I've got my hands pretty much full at the moment with um, family law matters at the moment and the recent COVID issues in Victoria with clients having issues. It's kept me pretty busy at the moment, but hopefully when we're back to normal and we're set free, as I say colloquially, set free, um, I hope to see if we could expand it
0: so Clarissa, if I'm um, one of the parties involved in a dispute that's being resolved through this process, why is it advantageous to me?
2: I think because we can't put money on the impact of relationships on our lives in good and, you know, in good and bad in positive and um, I guess the negative impact and when I think of families, more often than not we are in some way dealing with children, and the impact of parent separations on kids has been studied worldwide and the studies continually show that conflict damages children. And ultimately means, in a really simplistic sense, that your kids will have less chance of achieving their best outcomes in life. And that can you know, show itself in terms of significant mental health problems, relationship problems themselves into the future. We see things like adolescent risk-taking behaviour, which is often then associated with drug-taking and other substance abuse. So there's all of these really very significant things that can come from relationship breakdown. And I just think to myself, like, what more positive message could you as a parent be sending to your children than to demonstrate that even when someone may have hurt you, someone may have disappointed you, whatever's happened that's ended your relationship, you can still treat them with respect. There's no better life lesson that can come from that. Because the flip side is so powerful as well. This person who I once loved, who happens to be half of your DNA, watch me tear them apart. You know, that message is just incredible to young people and what it means for how they then treat other people in their lives. So for me, that's, it's not something that I can say to you, oh, here's the dollar outcome (laughs) that comes from this. But it's those intangible things, the things that often drive the people that are interested in a process like this are the intangibles, those bigger life questions of what does it mean, you know, to live a successful life and to leave a legacy. And for many of us, it, it comes back to the people, you know, that we're leaving behind and how we've treated them and what it means for them.
0: Presumably, that requires a level of maturity as well, though. I mean, I'm sure that there are some people who find themselves in these sorts of disputes who simply don't have the capacity to do that. But what's the message that if you are at least on amicable terms, that maybe this is a better way of handling it so that you don't A, rip each other apart and B, negatively impact your children, you know, for, you know who knows how long into the future?
2: That's it. And I'd also say, like, in some respects, what have you got to lose? Like, you may as well start by trying to find solutions that work for each of you that don't necessarily put you into a adversarial legal process that I'm sure John and I could talk for hours about the the negative consequences of adversarial legal processes. You know, I had a client in my office this morning in tears because she's been in the court process for six months already and all that's meant for her has been adjournments because the court doesn't have time to deal with any of her things. So she's so desperately in need of just one thing happening and it just keeps getting adjourned because the court doesn't have capacity to help Um, and so there's you know there's so many war stories we can tell about that that i would be saying to people look at all of the different options that you have when it comes to divorce and separation as you said tom early on like your sort of visual metaphor of what does it mean to go through divorce is really quite negative we can again thank you know, pop culture for that, because there are very few good stories about people breaking up. But there are many people that navigate separation and divorce in ways that is a very calm way, a very considered way. And that doesn't mean that they're, they're destroyed as a result. So what is
0: the sort of process that, that you go through when you embark on this sort of, uh, this sort of, what's, what's the word, undertaking?
2: I feel like this is now a John question. He's just oh, had to graduate from, <laughs> from the course. He's just done the test. I'll try. <laughs> and i just go, there we go. I'll try
1: and um, if I get it wrong. <laughs> uh, it's like a test, too. yeah. So, so, so basically what will happen is each party, husband or wife or partner or de facto, will have a collaboratively trained lawyer on each side. The lawyers together with a collaborative coach, which is a person who's like a mediator or could be a family dispute resolution specialist, might also be involved as well as a financial planner or a ca- accountant based person who can help with the financial side. That team will get together first and have an initial meeting to get together and go through all of the material. There has to be disclosure between both parties about finances and what they, they have and what they need for the future. So there'll be a first meeting between the professionals to see how they go about organising the meeting and what sort of live issues there could be. Then there'll be the first meeting in which both parties and everyone gets together and have a meeting. And in that, and you meeting, get together in the
0: same room, like you can actually sit down and have an adult conversation. Yes, in the
1: same room, which is good, which is, I know it's a new concept to people, but in the same room. All around the table or whichever way you want it set up, making sure there's plenty of coffee and tea and food. Everyone's there, relax.
0: And social distancing if you're in Melbourne. Yeah, in Melbourne.
1: social distancing, <laughs> of course. Yeah.
2: yeah, you're not in the same room in Melbourne. <laughs> That's
1: right. Um, and, and they'll get together and discuss the, the issues. There's a lot of emphasis on the parties, helping the parties work towards what they want to achieve rather than... The lawyers coming in and saying well you've got to do this, this is what you should do, you must do this. It's more a process where we guide the parties into what they need to do and advise them by guiding them to reach that solution. So in the first meeting it's the issues get put up in the air, both parties will sign a document or a, a document saying that they will participate in the collaborative process but if It can't resolve, they'll be prepared to go and see other lawyers and deal with it the old fashioned way. So that's a major thing from the start. It locks the parties into an understanding that this is a collaborative process. It's not like a litigation model. And if we can't resolve it, they move on. So then there'll be maybe two, three, four, five other meetings until we reach an outcome with what everyone wants. And once that outcome's reached, then it's put into orders or terms of settlement or a binding financial agreement, just like what happens up at court, but without going to court. And those orders are put together and made. And hopefully the parties leave as friends or still amicable, and they're still looking after their kids. So that that's in a nutshell, the process. And if I've missed anything, Clarissa, please let me know. No, that's, that's
2: exactly it. But that's
1: what I was taught, yeah
2: yeah I think if you I think of it as get a plan, get the information you need to you know work through whatever the issues are that the family have. Once you've got the information, make some decisions about what it is that you want to do, thinking about the pros and cons of the different scenarios, and then ideally you end up with an outcome.
0: And Clarissa, do you find it is a successful model? like what what sort of success rate does it have for for parties that enter it?
2: Yeah. So in my practice, I've been doing this sort of work for 10 years now, and I haven't kept a, a tally of the number of collaborative matters that I've had in my practice, but I do know that I've only had two matters that didn't result in an agreement throughout the course of that. So very few that didn't. And even in those two matters, I do know that that whilst they didn't resolve in collaboration, they didn't then turn into court matters. And I think that's important as well. And sometimes people just need time or a different way of solving a problem. So you know, I think collaborative practice will be attractive to people who are genuinely looking to solve their problems. They're not interested in having a battle. They're not interested in revenge. Um, You know, all of those sayings that we often hear associated with legal dramas, again, that's the principle. Well, no, it's not. It's like, just let me get through this stage and I want to get on with my life. People who are in that headspace, this sort of process can really work.
0: And and John, you're new to this process in a formal way. How have you seen it so far? How are you feeling about it? And, and what sort of uh, benefit do you think it can have to your clients?
1: I feel very positive about it. I have one client which we're working through the stages and I can see it's been a positive exchange even just to get it started. It's been very positive in talking to her and understanding what, actually listening to her what she needs and what she wants rather than telling her what to do or what she should do under the law it's been very positive and i think it can be very positive for many of my clients in the future moving forward if they you know they've got nothing to lose if they try it it has many benefits more than um, standard litigation does
0: so clarissa did he pass the test did he get it get it right
2: i, th- I think so i yeah. think so <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's really good. In summary, our our takeaway points, well, hang on, before we get to the summary, is there anything that we've missed? Is there anything that's part of this collaborative process that we should make sure we we cover off on?
2: Oh, look, I mean, John and I participated in a six-week course, so we could talk to you about many things, but no is the answer. Like, in a a very general sense, the, the key items that we've mentioned, I think, really do sum it up.
0: So the takeaways then are that collaborative law and collaborative practice is it's derived from divorce law, separation law, but it's a more, I guess, dignified, calm, you know, stay out of court kind of way of dealing with uh, with separation. And its success is really driven by what matters to those parties that are involved, to the families that are involved. And Clarissa, I think you made a really good point, and that is that you're dealing with real people here and that the behaviour of people as they go through a process like this, which is inevitably traumatic, can actually have really long-lasting impacts on children who are involved in the process. And so this collaborative process helps to mitigate the impact of those of that conflict on on children john you mentioned that it's driven by the parties involved rather than the lawyers involved so the parties really get out of it what they want and it's a process of making a plan extracting the information and then making some decisions along the way to ensure that you have an amicable resolution of the dispute and clarissa in your experience got a really high success rate there you go (laughs) There you go. There's the summary. Just before we wrap up on uh, on today's episode of Legal Ease, uh, Clarissa, you've got your own podcast as well. Give it a plug.
2: I do. I do. Well, I don't know whether it's useful to any of the poor people listening today, but I do. I've been running a podcast now for four years, actually, called Happy Lawyer, Happy Life, which is a show about lawyers and their lives. And we have really high rates of psychological ill health in law, certainly not aided by the events of 2020. And so the purpose of my show is really to just I guess spotlight and highlight how different people found success in law and the different little tactics and techniques and rituals we all have to build great careers in law.
0: So Happy Lawyer, Happy Life, where can we find it?
2: HappyLawyerHappyLife.com and on all good podcast channels.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Clarissa Raywood, The Happy Family Lawyer, thank you so much for your time and your insights on this collaborative process. Uh, we appreciate it very much, and and enjoy the freedom that Brisbane brings. Thanks so much for being part. Thanks so much for being part of it. <laughs> Thank Thanks, so of it. <laughs> Thanks uh, John. As always, John Melia, principal at Melia Lawyers, for your contributions and your experience. Uh, good luck with the collaborative process. I hope it works out for you and all of your clients. Of course, we have to do our disclaimer, which is that this is general advice only. And if you require specific advice or assistance, you should of course contact a legal practitioner. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Legal Ease Australia. We hope you learned something and uh, we're looking forward to talking to you again soon. Bye for now.